Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. I made my money the old-fashioned way. I got run over by Alexis. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. (laughs) And this is Peyton Jones. And all I can say is the five minutes before we hit record were the best five (laughs) minutes of any podcast ever. And all of which Peyton kept saying was, I can't talk about this on the podcast. I can't talk about this on the podcast. Don't let me bring this up. Don't, don't, we can't go there. (laughs) Oh, we have certain things that we keep to ourselves these days. But oh man, uh, dude, that was, oh, that was like, honestly, I could hang up right now and be like, I don't even care about the podcast. That, that was a great little talk that makes me want to go back to the Bible and reread those sections. What, what we really need to do is you and me just need to like hang up, get rid of this podcast, get on a phone together and just read the Bible and geek out together. That, I, that's I would invite you over to my house in Rossmore, but the only time you go there is when I leave <laughs> California. That's all I'm saying. I'm just bringing that's that up. True. That's true. Man. You got a little cold, man. You got a little sniffle. Oh, I've been sick as a dog. I mean, honestly, I have not been this sick since I had COVID. I have been. Maybe you got it again. Well, that's that's what I think. So Eden, Eden tested positive for it. I tested negative. But I, I think everything I tests positive for it. So I, I honestly don't trust the test. Right. Thank goodness um, for that auto auto muting from the mic. I think so, brother. And it actually, I forget that. It's uh, it's kind of hard for me to talk right now, but um, you need more coffee. A couple things, you know, like then then I got this. I was sick in bed in pain for like the Saturday before Exponential West. Woke up Sunday. I was supposed to be flying out that afternoon. I'm like, oh, I feel great. In fact, I I went and did my workout. You know, uh, got on the plane. Felt great that night. Uh oh. Something's happening again. Wake up the next morning, go to the gym, you know, uh, early morning. I'm up at like 5 a.m. I'm working out. Then uh, that day, it starts hitting me. I'm at the conference spreading whatever disease I have going, oh, no. And I'm I'm scheduled to speak at every workshop, every lunch. I was on a panel Awesome panel, actually, with uh, Jason Shepard, Ralph Moore, and um, Eric Creekmore. Um, man, uh, it was awesome. And it, it was just so great. But I'm pretty sure I spread disease to everybody, including all those guys on the panel. But um, Which all I can say is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's too bad. And then uh, all the panel guys, we went out to the pub that night and uh drink cokes 
and had amazing conversations. Yes, of drank course. soda pops. And uh, you know, just just sat there and talked because you know, the the whole thing was the four of us talking about micro church. We all have a different piece of that pie. And we sat there talking about, you know, for us, it was missional cogs, right? Which would launch out into church plants. For all these other guys, it was it was different things. So, of course, Ralph Moore is a living legend. He is literally um, the, he is the other Chuck Smith. He's like pork, you know, the, the other white meat. The, Ralph Moore was the guy that it didn't, it didn't become about like how for like Chuck, it became about, you know, for a lot of the other ministers, not all of them, but for a lot of them, it was, oh, I want to have a Chuck Smith hat and I want to build my big giant church. Ralph started off in the mega church where he was just multiplying and some of his churches are growing big, but he kept handing them off and he kept discipling all these leaders who ended up, I think it was like 2,700 and something now. But being able to to just pick that dude's brain as a living legend and a contemporary of Chuck and guy who did all the same stuff, um, but really leaned in and made the shift from mega. He would say he made the shift from from mega to micro. Right. And that's always fascinated me when a leader does that for multiplication and, and kind of lifting others up. But um, what was kind of cool, and I'll just share this, and then I'll shut up. Um, we uh, had a breakout that was scheduled right after Francis Chan's um, uh, main stage. Oh, is that guy still in ministry? Yeah, he's still around. And, you know, he's not far from there, so they they brought him up. Um, Where was it at, by the way? It was up in Oakland. It was okay. your stomping grounds. It's yeah. like your old neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, so we, you know, we, uh, we had they, this. They group. don't invite me. That's why I don't know where it is. I'm well, only I'm, the co-host of the largest, longest running church planner podcast, but I don't get the invite. I know. I know. It's, it's there, there. And actually, New apparently breed, I got to write books that don't sell and then I can get invited to, oh, wait, uh, they, sell, they sell. New breed. It's kind of cool because they, they keep giving us the church planning track. And we're like, hey, oh, that's so cool. now we are at the church planning conference getting the church planning track as a as a ministry. So we're like, okay, this What's is What's funny to me is it started out as a church planning conference, and it's yeah. grown into something so much bigger. Yeah, it's a multiplication conference, technically. I'm still so grateful for that ministry. I know like people are like, why is Peyton working for Exponential back then, uh, back when I shifted over? Well, Peyton needed money, but actually Peyton... <laughs> <laughs> Peyton need a job. I know that's hard to fathom, but actually, you're not uh, independently wealthy. Where you just you know talk and money pops into your pocket. <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, I made all that money off my books, uh, and I got run over by Lexus. I was so wanting to play the soundbite right then. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you missed your cue, Mitchell. I did, but but the reality is. um <clears throat> excuse me sorry so, you know we have car casts and we have like you know Peyton sick casts so uh can i get but, covid vote via zoom that's all i want to know um, you can no you can only get the digital version of covid that's a new strain you know they have all these new strains coming out so that's do i need a new digital vaccine <laughs> you do <laughs> <laughs> and if i don't get it i can't get into the store and buy groceries that's right oh what's that what's that that's the sound of the government getting back into bed with Big Pharma. Get ready. <laughs> and you just said you can't say anything political. That's know, so I political. I think I could say something political when it comes to But it's a to... truth. And if it's a truth, they have to let it go. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yes. But but anyways, the cool thing was we knew no one's coming to our breakout because Francis Chan is going to be there. And, um, you know, run, you can't put Francis Chan in a breakout, like, like the, the, the rooms cannot contain him, you know, like everybody know, will in your break out. Did you break open the Bible? Oh, every time. Okay. Cause you remember how that used to be your thing. And then oh. the one time I go to your breakout, you don't bust out the Bible. <laughs> and I was like, seriously, dude, <laughs> I said it at this conference too. Isn't it weird that. We go to these conferences, amass all these leaders, and no one cracks a Bible, and we never pray. 
what do you think we did in all my sessions? We cracked a Bible. And when I broke them up into groups, we had them pray. So nice. that's kind of a thing for me. It's just a pet peeve. But yes, you're right. There has been on occasion, maybe a time or two. It was just I've, funny because that was like you would go off on the conferences. Oh, yeah. No one cracked the Bible. Crack the Bible, man. Like, come on. Like, I don't want to just hear what all these guys think. I don't want to hear like pop offs the whole time. Like, can we get in the word? Because like, if it ain't. If it ain't something that Paul said or Jesus said, I'm pretty sure it's something you made up. And that's great. And that's good for sound bites. But I'm not sure it's going to help me when we're done here. So I need something to a little more, a little more solid to sink my teeth into. So, yes, I am a little curmudgeon uh, about that at conferences. But all that to say, so we get to our breakout and eight people, nine people show up. And so we don't sit in rows. I And I knew this was going to happen. So I set the room up. I took one table, big table, and we set up the eight or nine chairs around it. And Ralph is there. And Ralph just tells a story for an hour. And these are 90-minute sessions. And then Ralph takes Q&A. It goes over. Of course, Ralph stays like 30 minutes over. So it's a two-hour session. But I told the guys, I said, look, you guys are like those that got the Willy Wonka golden ticket. For the rest of your life now, I know you resisted the pull to go to Francis Chan's workshop. Because all of our workshops are normally full. <clears throat> but that was the only one that was. And it was the last workshop of the conference. And um, But I said, you know, all of you who are here for the rest of your life, you'll be able to say, I sat in a small group with Ralph Stinkinmore. And that's that's was his secret of multipli- multiplication with small groups. And, you know, how many times do you love to say, I sat in a Bible study at a home study with Chuck Smith, right? Or I had Chuck Smith uh, teach me how to preach a sermon. Um, it, it's just kind of neat. It's one of those things you'd be able to say, you know. We I started a small, a small group. group for our church. Did Ralph Moore come? No. But oh, you know okay. who's coming tonight? Who? Dan Torres. What? I know. Him and Reagan. The Dan Torres? Yeah. That's well, nice. that's what he said. He said, oh. yeah, we'll be there. But, oh. you know. Yeah. Who knows? Sure. It is Dan Torres. No, just joking. We love Dan Torres. That's cool, man. Does he live next to you? Yeah. They uh, they lived in, I think it's called Bedford, which is like 50 minutes away. And then they moved to Garland, which is like 19 miles away. So I was like, look, dude, I understand if that's too far for you. Because, I mean, 19 miles at that time of day, it's still, I mean, that's rush hour, right? Because we do it from 6 to 730. So, hey, it sounds it's not California like, rush hour, but it's rush hour. <laughs> sounds like the beginning of your church planning core team because uh somebody did just celebrate 10 years of their ordination. Oh, you got that email. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I was dying when I got that email. Can you believe it's been 10 years since you've been ordained? <laughs> That's the best story. Tell, tell them the story. Well, all I remember is we were, this is like literally the early days of the podcast. And we had just interviewed Michael Cheshire, who got ordained out of the the back of a Rolling Stones magazine. Like there was an ad, get ordained. And so he signed up to get ordained out of the back of the Rolling Stones magazine. And I knew that at least in California, and I have honestly no idea if this ordination is good outside state boundaries because it's like it's it's the most made up but it's it's recognized in california right because california can't say well technically no state can say you know what's a, a real ordination and what's not because they're not yeah. allowed to judge uh religion and uh so i got ordained online and it was free like all, all you had to do was like check out a box and you know Enter your email and boom, here's your certificate. So I could technically go marry people, and because uh, I'm gonna, I'm an ordained minister. Yeah, yes. well that and that started Pete Mitchell's my pastor, which became a refrain that people <laughs> would uh, put on our social media. I don't know. know that people would, but uh, Ruben Young would. <laughs> he's he's the only one I know who who claimed me to be his pastor. Pete Mitchell, Though, my pastor. You know, I didn't get the invite to his wedding, so I don't know how much oh. I was I was really his pastor. Arkening back to the old days, guess what I heard when I was at this conference? What? One person walked by me and went, 
emoji IV. No! Yeah, baby. Oh, that's my <laughs> hero. Heck yeah. That's my hero. How many episodes do you think we did that on? A hundred, two hundred? Oh, yeah, probably know. two. I I'm pretty sure we ran two years, at least maybe three on MoGiv. Because that would have like a year or 150 episodes. It was only at the end of the episode, or it was only at the end of me being at Refuge that the whole MoGiv thing fell apart. And we went to Well, but they stopped advertising when they sold it. And um, and so they canceled all their credit cards. Oh, so they like we were such a nothing to them. <laughs> like the money they paid us was they like, didn't even let us know. They didn't even they didn't even uh, acknowledge it like on their statement. Oh, OK, we're giving these guys some money, whatever. Like they just we were a nothing to them. And then the credit we were, card doesn't go through. And we're like, hey, hey, do you guys have an update? And it's like silence. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> we're they were bought out by a Chinese company. And I remember the guy that signed me up was a guy who lived locally to me. And we had met in a coffee shop. That's how I first got connected with them was he's like oh i work for this company and we're like oh cool you know it's funny how those things work you know where you just kind of sometimes you just you end up in the right place at the right time i i call it spiritual serendipity and you think it's an accident but there's greater forces at work and so um, hey before we get into our, our topic today i got one quick update to give everybody Ooh, i was wondering about that were you? I didn't hear who we were not sponsored by today. <laughs> I'm like, it took me a second to process that through my head. <laughs> you just, that's so funny. <laughs> I was like, oh, they must have taken care of business. Well, okay, so here's here's what happened. So everyone who's been, you know, a recent listener of the podcast knows uh you are not in good hands if you're with Allstate. Like mm-hmm. they will, they will do whatever they can to not actually pay out, which is ironic that they have all these commercials. You're in good hands. It's a total lie. I mean, it's a farce. Everybody get a public adjuster. Do not. Here's, here's what we did. So, so, you know, we had a hailstorm on May 19th. Uh, It was weird because it was 90 degrees that day. And I guess that's normal for the South. Like, you know, it's 90 degrees and then you get golf size uh, hailstones that totally destroy your cars, your roofs. So like Jamie's car had $12,000 worth of damage, which ironically the auto side, they paid it, had no problem. The homeowner side. So they got to, they got to buy me a new roof and uh, they got to like fix our AC. They got to replace a window. Um, Fences are like a really big deal here in Texas. Mm -hmm. So like everyone's fence is not like California fences that always look like they're about ready to fall over. Like, they're practically works of art. So they have yeah. to, um, what do they get? They got to power wash it and then restain it. Like <laughs> it's defenses are a big deal. Right. So, uh, so, you know, th- just real quick, we filed the claim. My, uh, adjuster from all state wouldn't even go on my roof. She's like, ah, I'm scared of going on roofs. Like your whole job is yeah. to evaluate, does this guy need a new roof or not? And she wouldn't go on it, right? So not exactly a good start to it. And uh, they came back and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to give you uh, 12000 towards this. And of course, you got a $6,000 deductible. And Oh, gosh. And it's like, uh, okay, wait a second. Um, it's $50,000 worth of damage here is what mm. we've got. And you're trying to tell me you're going to give me twelve grand for it. So... And they were like, oh, you got to replace 432 shingles or something crazy like that. It's like, no, you have to replace the whole roof. Right. Like, you can't literally go through and go, oh, well, this shingle needs to be replaced. This, like, it right. doesn't work that way. Right. So, my church planner, our church planner buddy, uh, works with contractors and um, he's the insurance guy because he used to be an adjuster. So, he knows how to basically well, you know write a guy it up. Named buddy. Do I know a guy named Buddy? Yeah. No, I thought you said, oh, I thought you said his name was Buddy. I was going to say, that's convenient. No, his name is Jared. You know, Jared. Oh, yeah. 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 So, um, so he's a church planner, right? He's actually come through the, the, uh, uh, ministry by business.com, uh, the, the platinum Bible inner circle, which Mm. actually it was really crazy. We went to an event with him and he actually attributed all his success in his business to going through that training. And I was like, Hey, hey, he, he attributes all of his success in ministry to uh so uh, jump school 
to to, to you, right? So basically, <laughs> we're res- we're responsible for Jared. <laughs> yeah, so I, Jared, I've seen other people cool headhunt him right now for for ministry stuff because he no, he's no applying kidding. a lot of those principles to uh, apartment life. And yeah. so I just met with someone who's uh, been kind of talking to him and and really interested in what he's doing. It, it makes you proud. It makes you kind of oh, like. Yeah. You know, like, hey, that's one of my boys, you know, and I'm only teasing that he attributes all this success to. No, to well, that, that dude is so cool. Like, yeah, he is cool. I really I really like him. And he was he was in our text group for a short while. And like he got into little, you know, uh, theological debates with some of the other guys. Yeah, he was great. He, 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 I mean, he did really well in that group, right? Like yeah, he, he, could, he could stand his, he could hold his own. Yeah, he was so, like, uh, me and him on some issues were like the, the, the lone, lone standers. Yeah. Well, but so anyway, long story short, he's the guy who's been helping me the, the whole time with everything. And, uh, so like, you know, we finally, after like three months, they're like, okay, we'll we'll agree to a reinspection. That's where they send out another adjuster, looks at the roof. This adjuster, I you know, Jared actually was like, I can't believe this guy. Like, he he did a whole bunch of stuff he wasn't supposed to do. But at least they came back and they're like, okay, yeah, we're gonna give you you know thirty five grand towards the roof. Now, meanwhile, keep understand they need to be given fifty grand. Like that's how much everything's gonna cost. Yeah. So Jared goes. I'm like, well, what do I do? Do I take this? I mean, we've been fighting for over three months now. And uh, he goes, look, you're the homeowner. You can do it. He goes, but here's the deal. We can do, there's a provision in every policy called the appraisal. And we get our appraiser and they get their appraiser. And basically they go at it. And, uh, And he goes, our appraiser is a pit bull. He goes, he is not mean. He's not rude. He just is relentless. And he'll get what we actually need. And he goes, and uh, the contractor that, you know, we're working with on this, he'll pay for the appraiser if you want Mm -hmm. to do it. And I'm like, well, what's the benefit? And he goes, well, really, if you just want to stick it to all state, because that's the biggest benefit. And I'm like, sold. (laughs) I'm like done with these guys. So we get our appraiser, they get their appraiser. And um, got the 50 grand. That's all nice. I'm saying, man. Nice. And it was like so much easier. Like we should have just done the appraiser, like literally from the beginning. Yeah, It would have saved so much headache. So anyway, so I think next week we're getting the new roof and then I can finally leave all state. Cause right now my home is uninsurable. Yeah. No one else will take me because my roof is trashed. Oh, and, okay. uh, and Dude, so I got to yeah. replace it and then I can finally switch. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, so you're not in good hands. Find someone else. Uh, I've been told anybody that has state in their name as an insurance company, stay away from. Uh, I don't know, man. Like mine, (laughs) when I had State Farm, my public adjuster, who's an independent third party who will get you the money that you deserve. He goes, who do you have? I said, State Farm. He said, good. And I think it's because (laughs) he knows how to push the buttons there. Yeah. He's like, all right, I work well. Well, Well, see, and that's what Jared is. He's technically a public adjuster, but he couldn't be the public adjuster on my case because he was acting as the contractor on my case. So he's like, you know, yeah. So this was like the, the, the appraiser process is right before you go to a public adjuster. So you go to appraisal and then you can go to a public, or I mean, you could technically go to a public adjuster anytime he goes, but this way it's cheaper. Yeah. And the, uh, they got everything. They got everything that they were supposed That's to great. get. At which, yeah. I mean, isn't that weird that you pay them all this money all year? Then something happens. They go, oh, you owe $6,000 more for us to do what you've been paying us for. Um, what a racket. And then well, there, you got to Jared fight actually them. sent me an article this week. It was an article about how insurance companies, like, that's their whole gig. And it's getting worse now because there's so much information available via social media and everything else that they're actually evaluating. Do we think this person will fight us? And if they don't, then great, we win. And I guess there's like a threshold of like 5%. If 5% of the group fight them, then they'll take it up. But if they don't, then even the next group of claims, they go down and pay even less. And even it's they're literally looking at how much can I get away with and not honor on my policy? Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, I I can remember as a young man, I think I was 19 years old, and this 
kid plowed into the back of my VW bus when it was parked. I had just been under it draining the oil. And so I went inside, made a sandwich, sat down, was watching TV, letting, you know, maybe you used to have to change your own oil back in the old days, you know? Oh, yeah. And I'm letting it drip, drip, drip into the pan, eating a sandwich, giving it about 20 minutes uh, before I go after I change a filter and drain the oil, replace it. And I hear this bam, and there's all this dust. And this kid had plowed so hard into the back of my car. He's joyriding his grandpa's car. He's, he was, I think, 14. And uh, so I, I go to farmers to fight them, right? And the the appraiser at the desk there at the office kept trying to hard, you know, lowball me and play hardball. And they, and I was 19, man. And I just, I, I, I was fighting at 19. And I just, for some reason, you know, I'd argue with them a little bit and I'd say, okay, I can see this isn't going anywhere. I'll see you in court. I start to walk out the door and he's like, wait, 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 wait. And I'm like, what, are you, you going to meet me? Oh, I'll do this and I'll do that. Come on, blah, 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 blah. I'd, I'd listen and say a couple things back and then finally be like, all right, nope, nope. You, you obviously, you don't get what's happening here. I'll see you in court. <laughs> just kept walking. I did that three times. Wow. And then he finally gave me what I asked for. And it was a classic car. Like it was a classic. Dude, that's restored. a VW bus, man. It was a classic restored. It, in fact, let me tell you this. It wasn't restored. My VW bus was freaking preserved. Uh-huh. It, it was so nice. The guy I bought it from was the original owner. He was this old guy at church. Oh my gosh. It was a thing of beauty. And, uh, I, in fact, I took it to the VW doctor off Valley view. You, I don't know if you remember that place was in Huntington beach and the dude, this guy called the VW doctor. He, he was a little bit of a, like a VW celebrity mechanic. He was like, dude, I haven't seen a VW in this good a shape in so long. It was just, I was so blessed to have that freaking car. Um, it was like the gift that my house was to me. It was what that car was to me. The guy sold it to me for almost nothing. But this kid just, he destroyed my dreams, Pete. And it hurt me. And I'm still a little triggered even talking about it. And farmers but, had to pay. They had to pay. Oh, they paid. Oh, did they pay? <laughs> but, uh, and then, and then I got a VW rabbit because I'm like, I just need something that's going to get me to college, man. And so that's, that's what I had. And, uh, man, those were the days, you know, where you're just always trying to like get a used car that wouldn't break down on you. You know, you didn't have to pee in the radiator. You know, if, if you didn't have to pee in the radiator, you were doing good. And that's how it was in my day. And we liked it. Remember that? Dana Carvey? The Dude, old, no, old one man. of our listeners, uh, Bill, and I can't remember his last name off the top of my head. He sent us, uh, or he sent me an article about, um, so there's what's called concealed carry insurance in case mm-hmm. you ever have to use your, your firearm in a self-defense situation. What about and the whole, stars? Uh, that actually qualifies under okay. uh, yeah, I need almost all weapons, almost all you weapons. You never know when you have to throw a ninja star. Well, the problem is, so he sent me, I think it was a video of these lawyers who are showing how basically those insurance companies that I rely on to protect me basically do the exact same thing. And they go, um, cause there was this one case where this, this, uh, single mom had an abusive ex and she had to shoot him and the insurance company, I don't know which one it is. Cause I've had them in the past. They basically, it, they talked to the lawyer who got the case and he was like excited about it. Cause he's like, no, this is actually a really solid, very easily winnable case to show it was self-defense. Yeah. And, um, and the insurance company goes, uh, yeah, no, we don't think this was self-defense. We think you committed a crime, so we're not covering it. So then she does what everybody would do, which is I'm going to sue the insurance company. And that gets put on hold until her trial is conducted. And she had to take a plea deal because you know how it is. Uh-huh. Basically, they'll drain every dime you got. Yep. But because she took a plea deal, well, that's admitting guilt. Didn't matter mm-hmm. that like the plea deal was nothing, right? It just was right. like, and so they go, oh, we don't have to pay. Oh, look at that. It's like, we rely on you to protect us when we need it. And you basically, I don't want to do it. I don't want, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to claim it's a that contract. this wasn't It's an agreement. I will pay you this money. So when. Things may or may not happen, but in the in the rare you know chance that they do happen, you're going to be there for me, right? That's what I'm right. paying for. And it it would be like you know because how fire insurance started was fire insurance was 
the firefighters didn't come to your house and put your fire out back in like England if you didn't have fire insurance. Oh, they'd, they'd look at their list and be like, oh, no, that's not on our list. So we're we're not going to put the fire out there. That's how fire insurance started. So people are like, oh, I need fire. It would be like the firefighters not turning up to your house when it's on fire. Right. That's and you that's what you're paying for. Hey, come put my fire out. Right. And obviously it's morphed and changed, but it's a great way to look at it like, hey, we had an agreement. I paid this money, my house on fire, you come put it out. Right. Like, but yeah. they no, we decide no, we don't want to put your fire out because yeah, it's kind of expensive on our part to do so. So we decided no, we'd we'd rather keep the money you gave us and not not come to your house with buckets of water. So anyways, hey, uh, you know what? You know what time it is, right? Wait, wait, wait. It's not howdy duty time. Right, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Oh, I love it. Pete. What's today's topic? And before you announce it, I think I'm going to have to have an intelligent conversation with you. So nice. I'm donning my smart guy glasses. I like it. I like mm. it. No. So what I wanted to talk about is what's going on in uh, Israel and Gaza with uh, the war that's just broken out there. And the main reason why I want to talk about that with you is because you come from a, a you got married into a Palestinian family. And so I would love to yes. to get some of your your thoughts and all of that. And obviously, too, the other thing too that I find just so crazy, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. It is amazing to me how much hatred there is in yeah. the world against Jews. Yeah, and like, I mean, pretty much every Arab country hates the Jews. Yeah, like, yeah, we're talking about racism on a level that. You just like it's I hate you because you're you're a Jew. I mean, oh my gosh. It's talked about in the Bible, right? But but we have to remember that the overwhelming majority of, of Palestinians in Jerusalem are Christians. They're are Coptics. They? Mm. They're not Muslims, they're Coptics. And so is that why the rest of the uh countries around there don't want them in their country because i know like egypt like which is borders gaza right egypt's like we don't know, want them coming in. i'm gonna plead an aoc on this i don't really know much about that okay <laughs> uh, she should have said that much earlier than than she did in that particular interview when she was popping off about it you know there's a lot of ignorance i have and and i'll say this it's really funny to me in america you know we are one of the most ill-informed nations and populations on world events but i tell you when something hits a headline americans are suddenly experts yeah. on all things middle east and you know the israeli palestinian conflict like amazing to me wow really you guys don't even watch world news and now you know all this yes i have always known all about the ukraine and russia and i've been very up to date on this over the years and for me brother like it's comical to me because there's a very different um way of looking at the world when you live in another country they are very concerned it's not america centric everywhere else america is a big part of news sure world power but so is everywhere else you know you tend to know what's going on and you 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 know you live in britain for example bbc is doing specials all the time on you know uh almost like 60 minutes used to or whatever but 60 minutes even tends to focus on things happening in america because it's an american show and the american mindset is tell us what's happening in america but over there bbc will do world exposes of all these things that I remember moving over there and going, oh, the Khmer Rouge, like, what's that? In British culture, you have more of an awareness, and it's part of your regular conversation. I don't think before this, many Americans um, really thought about Palestinians. You know, um, we always talk about Israel because they're one of our allies. But the conditions of Palestinians, the ignorance on this is is amazing to me. Um, they don't even know how this all started. For example, like um, years ago, uh, after World War II, when they um, 
moved the is you know the Jews from Eastern Europe, there was a displacement issue, right? The Nazi regime had taken their their homes, their livelihood, all of that, and they had put them in camps, and many of them had fled. So there was nowhere for them to go back to in Europe, really, right? The 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 Germany or Poland or wherever it was that they had been was no longer there. It had been shelled out. It had, you know, we we forget what actually happened back then. So there was a a, a relocation uh, agreement that was made with the United Nations and America uh, and Britain, and they moved them back to Palestine. And said, "Well, hey, you know, this is historic biblical homeland, uh, founding Israel as a nation again, which was an amazing." Um, I don't know if you want to say fulfillment of Bible prophecy, but it was like, okay, wait a second. Um, well, I remember, I think it was, uh, uh, oh, man, but who's the church that you were at? Uh, Sandfields. Yeah. What, what's his name? Lloyd-Jones. What's, Lloyd-Jones. Wasn't it Lloyd? Maybe it wasn't Lloyd-Jones. I think it was Lloyd-Jones who said, yeah. There are certain prophecies right here. He's like, I don't see how these could be fulfilled unless Israel becomes a nation. That again. was Spurgeon. That oh, was Spurgeon, Spurgeon, that's Spurgeon that Spurgeon. said that. Spurgeon, yeah. But what Lloyd-Jones said, and I have um, picked this up and run with it many a time, Lloyd-Jones, who was, you know, you'll find Brits, Aussies, um, people in the Commonwealth, Canadians, they're not like Americans. Americans, because of R.A. Torrey, um, at the turn of the century, he had made a book called uh, the fundamentals. And in there was the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And that was a standard work set to uh, rescue America from religious liberalism, theological liberalism. But as the last point in that book, he put dispensational theology in there, right? The pre-trib, pre-rapture, right. uh, pre-millennial. Um, and it, it was called the fundamentals. So Christians in America thought, oh, this is what you have to believe. And it kind of did a number on America because if you go to other parts of the world, New Zealand, they're like, no, no, we don't see that. Um, we have a different. And and I, in fact, not surprisingly to anyone who's a listener to this podcast, I have a different theological persuasion um, than pre-trib, pre-wrath, um, rapture and, and pre-millennialism. I have a different view. It's not important, but uh, just understand that that that's historically what happened here. So, um, but Lloyd Jones, who was more, he was more of a, a more of a preterist, I think, or at least a partial mm. preterist who believed that a lot was fulfilled during eighty seventy. See, that's and where then, I would fall in. Is I'm definitely a partial preterist, right? And, and then you believe, that. yeah, you believe that these things play out over and over throughout history that there could still be an antichrist who's coming, um, that there could, but these things have already happened and that they might be recurring or parenthetic prophecy, which we know the antichrist was parenthetic because Jesus refers to when you see the abomination that causes desolation. And then every gospel says, let the reader understand. Well, the first time that happens, that's Antiochus Epiphanes, right? When the, when the Macedonian empire was there, and Antiochus Epiphanes comes and he just raises the temple to the ground, offers um, pig blood in it. And then the same thing happens when Jesus says, let the reader understand when you see the abomination causes desolation. To a Jew, they're like, well, that already happened when Daniel talked about it. So we thought that was done. That happened during the 400 year silent period and uh, during the Maccabean revolt, yada, yada. But when you, when the gospel writers say, let the reader understand, it's, it's a wink, like, hey, this is going to happen again. Of course, AD 70, it does happen. Emperor Vespasian, um, Roman general Titus, uh, comes in, does the same thing, except he, uh, holds up the eagle standard and says, Caesar is Lord and declares Caesar to be God, the man God, um, which is ironic because, you know, he desecrates the temple. The real man, God, already was crucified and rose again. But the interesting thing, and Jesus is the Lord, not Caesar is the Lord, but but all that happens in AD 70. Could that happen again? Sure. And that's why people are always like, oh, the temple has to be rebuilt. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Depends on your theological view. I believe all that stuff's happened. 
Already. What the heck is that over on the side? That's my cat's tail. Okay, I was like, after our our, our talk in the yeah. break, I was like, what is going we, on over there? We had to pause the recording and because my alarm went off, and then I had a supernatural something-something that happened, and I, I paused the recording because I didn't want to share it on the podcast. So Pete's kind of, there's something just off camera that keeps waving in and out. Pete's like, what is that? <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. But, well, um, I mean, part of, part of what my, literally what my fear is, is I'm watching what's happening in the world stage right now. Yeah. With obviously the, the October 7th attack from Hamas is horrific. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's the equivalent of our nine 11. I yeah. mean, literally, you know, you got Hamas going into that like one music festival yeah. and literally just starting to kill people. Yeah. And obviously then you got, you know, the killing of babies and beheadings and the raping. And I mean, it's, it's awful. It's, it's, it's so horrific, brother. I don't even want to think about it. Like, oh, but the the, thing is, the thing that's the saddest to me is there's parents trapped there with their kids and they're trying to get them water. And like, to me, that is like, oh my gosh. Well, some of the parents have been so happy when they find out that their children were killed. As yes. opposed to what they yes. know. I, I mean, saw that. that is like, dude, but, but I'm also looking at this going at the world stage. All right. We're already in a, a, a war with Russia via proxy. Mm. And then we know we've got Iran who's been sponsoring Hamas and Hezbollah. And, and then we've got all these attacks on American bases, which we believe are from Iran, but like, we don't really want to say it because the problem is Iran and Russia are allies. Right. And it's like, dude, are we setting up for another world war? Like literally, right. are we that close? And then when you start mixing in China, oh my gosh, dude, I'm looking at this thing going, well, they think it'll be another proxy war. Well, that's what they're the saying. We're, yeah, of course. Yeah. They, they think it'll end up being one of the, another, we're just heading into another cold war era, but here, here's the thing is that, you know, going back to that, it was funny because Lloyd Jones, all those years ago, um, he said, you know, if I can't remember what book it was that I was reading, they're always his sermons. But he said, if I were to, he said a good starting point for me, for someone who always says, I don't know if I can believe the Bible, he says, I point to Israel, Israel becoming a nation. And he said, you know, that's the starting point for people. Like when they don't believe you have to take them there. Well, let's stop and think about it. Here's this thing. Oh, well, that happened by people. Yeah, you know, everything happens by people. But God, God said these people, like it's the way that they're now identified. It's not that Jews aren't scattered, but like the fact that they were predominantly brought back into one place and they're now identifiable again as a people in a nation. It's insane. It is. Um, because how long were they without a nation? Like 2000 um, years? Yeah, thousand like like a pretty long time, you yeah. know. Um and then and then unfortunately during World War II, like the sad thing is that started the real um and a lot of people don't know this. There's a book you can read on this called Blood Brothers by a guy who was a Palestinian Christian and he was there and he's not anti-Israel at all. He just wanted people to understand in fact, he makes a point. He says, you know, there were Jews there already um, who lived in Palestine. And um, so when people say Palestine was never a thing, um, <laughs> it's always funny to me because actually uh, the Palestinians have always been in what you would call Israel. They're always neighbors. The Bible said they always would be. They would live side by side and there would always be enmity. That's all the way back in Genesis. When um, Hagar has Ishmael, and Ishmael is seen as the father of the Arabs, according to the Bible. And God just says, you know, there, there's always going to be enmity between your offspring and their offspring, you know. And that keeps the thread of this enmity between, you know, the offsprings. That that constantly is a theme that plays out throughout the scripture, plays out in Esther, plays out in Genesis, plays out. It's just all over the Bible, plays out in um, Revelation right? Um, the offspring of, of it, it's just always there. So what, 
where we we get into this this territory here is the conflict when they had to rehouse Israel. What what happened was the newly formed Israeli army came in and said, "Hey, we need you guys to move out. Um, we got to take stock and inventory of all the buildings and everything, and we got to we have a you know we're gonna." come up with something, whether it's a construction project or maybe rehousing or whatever it is, but we need you all to move out uh, outside the city for three days. And when you're done, we'll have everyone come back in and our military will have come through and taken stock and inventory of everything instead of the resources, yada, yada, except, so, you know, this, this guy that wrote this book, Blood Brothers, he says, <clears throat> so we all moved out. And so I witnessed account. He says, problem is we were never moved back in. And so it was like a camping trip outside the city. And he said, and during it, so those was, three days, it, it, it was 14 days to flatten the curve. Is that what you're telling me? Right. And it was exactly that kind of thing. And the Jews were moved in during that time. Um, and that that's just historically what happened. And so the it wasn't that Jews were reintroduced into Jerusalem. It was that uh, the Palestinians were first displaced for that to happen. And I'm sure there's different. Um, it's kind of like when you have different bits of history. There's probably people that would deny that. People would say, "Oh no, that never happened." You know, yada yada. But um, you know, it's 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 not often talked about, but that started everything where suddenly there was this enmity, like in in the same way that, that the Jewish people were forced out of their homes, um, that happened to the Palestinians when it happened to the Jews during World War II under the Nazi regime, um, that happened to the Palestinians with the creation of Israel. Yeah, that's crazy. And so when you look at it, and and here's the thing, right? Um, there was a massive humanitarian crisis after World War II with the Jews. Something had to be done. So you can understand why the government said, oh, we'll put you there. That's your biblical historical homeland. We're going to re- repatriate you there. But, uh, and, and this is what I'm trying to say here, is do not misunderstand by that quick summary there are a lot of ins and outs and there none of these issues is easy right. right but you have to understand the historical context to kind of know like oh well one of the things too that i know you've said on on previous uh episodes when we've talked about israel for one reason or another and i think it's always an important point to make is that we're talking about for a lack of a better term a fallen nation in the sense that they don't acknowledge Jesus. Yeah. And so it's not like we can just go, Oh, well, Israel's always in the right. right. Not always in the right. And I'm not saying they were in the wrong in this situation. They were attacked. Yeah. <laughs> they were attacked. But, but, but that's like, it. You will find people that always rush to the defense on any, and I'm not, please understand I'm divorcing this uh, and making a general statement. Right. That sometimes, like you said, people will, will, whatever Israel does, it can do no wrong because those are God's people. Well, hold on a second. God's people in the Old Testament frequently did wrong. Right. And God called them out for it. Yeah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, the way that they, they treated um, people is a big deal in Isaiah. Justice issues come to the front. In fact, all the prophets usually bring um, for justice issues and say the way you've treated or, you know, so God is not, it's not like, oh, we automatically take Israel's side because that's what God would do. And if we don't, we'll be cursed. And there's this weird theology that comes up. No, uh, I actually, this is my hope is that through these kinds of things, we see fulfilled what Paul said was the blessed hope. He calls it the blessed hope. And that is Israel turning back to God, right? That, I think, is where Paul says they will be grafted back in. They were cut off for a time. They are not in current. Um, they're not keeping the covenant with God right now. They, they are not walking with God. They have not kept the covenant that, that God established with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
but God's a covenant keeper. So he doesn't cut them off completely. And Paul brings that out and says, look, um, they will be grafted back in. And of course, that's salvation. There's even at times a weird theology that because our Jews are going to be saved. And when Paul says, thus all Israel will be saved, he first makes the point that not all Israel is Israel. In other words, circumcision is of the heart, not of the flesh. And so um, God's people broadens out in the in the New Testament. But but Paul says, hey, Gentile, even though you've been grafted in and you've been now chosen before the foundation of the world, the, the Bible brings that out um, as Gentiles. You were also a part of God's plan. You're grafted in. It's to provoke them to jealousy because God does have a special place in his heart for Israel. He always will. And he will win them back, but it will be through the Gentiles. And that that right there is mind-blowing. But Paul says, stay humble for you were grafted in to the original root. I remember one time Chris was preaching at Refuge. And um, and he goes, uh, yeah, so I asked my mom, uh, you know, what ethnicity are we? And he goes, and she takes like a half hour to explain everything. And he goes, wait a second, you're saying we're Jews. <laughs> Yep. Like he didn't yep. know. He yeah. Like it took her like telling this whole big story to go, <laughs> you're Jewish. <laughs> I mean, yes. Just, I just find that so funny, man. Well, man, look, I know we're out of time. Because speaking of Chris Lane, I had actually hop into a meeting with him in a few minutes. So I, I'm we're gonna have to wrap this up. Um, this might be a part two. I mean, it might be we gotta come back to this, but it's at least a good starting point. But I will say this. I know we're just grieved. Um, yes, I, I've had frequently now people call in saying, How's Andrea? Because she's she's half Palestinian, her mom is full blooded, and her mom loves Israel. You know, she's a really strong Christian, um, Palestinian woman. She loves Israel, she loves America, and she loves her Palestinian family and it just, it's, it's a tragedy. I think if we step back from the predetermined sound bites that we're supposed to parrot and we just look at it, it's horrific and it's just heartbreaking what's happening. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. Well, should I just do the, uh, the final sign off? Yeah, I think so. Hey, if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Done like a pro, man. <laughs> <laughs>